The great thing about music is that we can all appreciate it for different reasons. Whether it helps us feel connected to a loved one, living or gone, or brings us back to the nostalgia of our youth. It can even help us make new friends or even bring new people into our lives. People that we rely on for comfort and support when times are tough, or even just for guidance through the intensities of life. These special individuals have a name, a special job position, and sometimes they aren't even paid for their greatness. They are the individuals that we, as lifelong students, will forever look back upon and thank them for the major impact that they've had on our lives. Forever. These heroes are called mentors. Hello everyone, my name is Dominic Anzalone. I am currently a senior at the University of Southern California studying popular music performance for drum set. Growing up in St. Louis, I was lucky enough to be surrounded by some of the greatest unsung heroes living in the Midwest. Teachers who are national touring artists, successful professional side musicians, and music educators. These individuals became the reason why I would continue on to play music. As human beings, we can experience traumatic situations that can halt us in our tracks and prevent us from continuing on to follow our passions. Whether it's any kind of sport, club, art, i.e. drawing, animation, graphic design, etc., our various academic paths, we can sometimes find ourselves struggle to find the motivation to continue working on something that we felt was a safe space. These mentors constantly gave me the courage and the inspiration to try to fight through those heartaching moments of wanting to give up my instrument and provided me with a community and art form that makes me feel most at home. I had the honor of interviewing a couple of them to better understand their history as a mentor and some background into where they may have acquired the skills necessary to pass on their wisdom to the next generation or to their own mentees. My first guest is someone who guided me through my time in high school, trying to help me figure out what I want to do post high school and help me understand the foundations of what it means to be a professional musician and touring artist. His name is Brian Owens. He's a national touring recording artist who has performed with legendary musicians like Michael McDonald. Brian is the founder and executive director of Life Arts Incorporated, leadership, innovation, faith, and entrepreneurship. It's a nonprofit that provides artistic resources, opportunities, mentoring, and positive experiences to help students in underserved communities throughout Ferguson and the St. Louis metropolitan area. Can you give me maybe a background of like some of the most important mentors in your life and how they've had an impact on you in your career? Yep. So let's start. Let's start. You know, I'm holistic. So everything is non-disconnected. Everything's kind of connected together. So I, I, I would probably say the first main mentor in my life was my dad who led me to Christ, who is the reason why I'm singing, because that's like who I really saw growing up. Um, so that'd be like my main, probably like my main mentor was my dad. And then my high school music teacher, my high school music teacher, Mrs. Mrs. Well, it was Mrs. Carter, then Mrs. Eichenberger. Um, still talk to this day. We just went on a date uh, not too long ago to the Muni. <laughs> to catch to catch a show, you know. So she was instrumental in me really kind of going after music professionally. Uh, when I was in high school, like really supporting the stuff that I wanted to do. She supported me auditioning for Manhattan School of Music, um, which I didn't go even though I got in. And just and just continued to support me after I got out of high school. Every endeavor that I had, she was always there to support, you know. Um, so to me, that's a big thing with mentorship. Both of the two people I mentioned have been with me for the long haul. They weren't seasonal mentors. 
They were life mentors. And I think that you, you can't have mentors that come into your life for a season, which I have had those folks who came in and they were there for a particular reason for a particular time. Um, but the folks that I'm talking about are those folks who are like life mentors. Like they just with me. Diane Reeves was a really important seasonal mentor for me. Um, at the point in my life when I met her and started working with her a little bit, you know, I was really kind of discovering, trying to figure out my voice and who I was vocally and things that I wanted to do. And so she was really instrumental in that, you know, and then just people who, who I would consider mentors because of the opportunities that they poured into me. Like Michael McDonald is, is was, has been a really great, good friend and extended opportunities to me at a time in my life where they were needed. Um, and I also learned a lot just being around him and seeing what he does. And David Sanborn is another one who just invited me in, you know, to a situation where I was like, uh, should I be here? <laughs> like, like, should I be in this, in this group? You know, and just really, again, just extended opportunity and time and accessibility to me. So I would say those are kind of like some of the main ones. I mean, I have so many, but those are the main ones that I would, that I would point out. And then fast forwarding a bit now, um, of course, I know you more personally, but you have a roster <laughs> of mentees ranging from, as we were just talking about before this, ranging from uh, clothing apparel to, to producing to um, creative music and making music and such. And I just was just curious about how you manage to... Uh, mentor those different styles and those different um avenues well because i don't mentor the styles i mentor the people yeah mm. like i don't i don't have a specific i don't have a like direct skill setting necessarily that's like a one-to-one -one with all the people that i mentor meaning i mentor them because they do the same thing i do i mentor creative people and try to help facilitate the connection between what they need and where they want to go and so in that I become a life mentor. Meaning my role is to, one, help you develop as a person. Um, I always say this, like, you know, helping somebody be a great musician, you know, especially if you have the facility for it or a great creative is really not, that's not the hard part. There are schools that specialize in that. There are people who, the, 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 the real thing is being a good person, being a good human being, you know, everybody needs something different, requires something different. And then also, you know, developing within the ecosystem, the ability for them as they develop to be a mentor. Yeah. Right. So now they've taken on interns. <laughs> so Crush took right. on interns. You know, and, you know, and now I get to, and I get the benefit of that, right? Because I need people to help with stuff. Yeah. yeah. And so it, it's just, it's really working out. Yeah, the way that you know people have kind of come in. Your style is more of a community community oriented than it's just kind of like like our family tree per se. Oh, it's just sure. all one big family, and you mentor so and so, and they have there's so, and so then it all just comes back around and you pass on. Familial, communal, ecosystem, all those words, or like even my wife is like Amanda is is just as much of a mentor to them as I am in different ways, especially the young, especially the, the, the females, the women that are in my ecosystem, because there's like, I'm not trying to like, 
like I don't do, I don't mentor them in certain things and in certain areas. I'm not that's not my they need and I'll tell them you need to talk to Amanda about that. You need to talk to Amanda about that. You know. Um, yeah. And and it's great cuz you know they in turn are become influencers and role models on my kids. So it's this kind of thing where it's like I have a vested interest in the person you are on a, you are becoming because my children come in contact with that person. Can you talk about the relationship when you bring the your your mentees on, let's say the Nathan Pences of your community? What is it like when 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 you decide you like you know what like I'm gonna bring them on for a, a show i'm gonna bring them on tour i'm gonna bring them for a recording date how does that work and and for you as a, as a mentor and and is there any process that you're guiding them through while they're on a gig with you or doing working with you i mean there probably should be i don't know like everything is so organic at this point you know yeah. it has been for a while um literally people think i'm joking when i say this and i'm like no like god sent these people into my life i didn't look for anybody i didn't look for you i didn't look for anybody I wasn't even trying to be a mentor like that, for real, for real. You know, I was just trying to, you know, you know, I just, you know, I love working with young people. I was a youth pastor at one point, like, so I love that. But I wasn't trying to mentor the way I'm mentoring right now. But realizing that that's just who I, like, that's who God designed me be to be. And I thought that it was just outside, it was supposed to be outside of my career. But it's like, no, like, that's a means for it to happen to occur. So um, when it comes time to like, oh, Nathan's gonna go on the road with me. I mean, it's like, it was functional. He was my bass player. Just happened to be he was 17. <laughs> you know what right. I'm saying? <laughs> you know? Um, or anybody like that. And, and again, people extended opportunities to me like that. You know, so I just, I get, I get a lot out of, personally out of, working with and being around that kind of young energy, um, watching them grow and develop, watching y'all get better at your craft and what you do and realizing that you haven't even tapped it yet. Like that's was crazy to me. Um, and even if I'm not a, the one that's gonna directly benefit from it, I know somebody will. Would you be able to um, explain everything with life arts? I know it's, it's um, taken, taken a lot of different forms over the past couple of years as yeah, we've talked about. But could you give kind of the background of that? And I know it has a different name now too. So this is the, so the new one is Life Creative. So the ecosystem is called Life Creative STL. And it's sole purpose is what it says on the website. Like our purpose is to provide a platform for young creatives where they live and to tell the story of our city, its heritage and legacy. That's why we exist, right? And so, like, I never wanted a nonprofit. So what happened was after 2014 happened, we were just seeking ways that we could really engage community around using what we, what we do in terms of the arts and media and music. And then the work just kind of evolved into that because I started hanging with these young kids and again and started doing music stuff and it's like, I could, you know, work with other nonprofits to facilitate our programming or just start a nonprofit. And that's what ended up happening. Um, so that was about five, six years ago. And now Life Arts, whose mission is to develop, developing the leaders of today, where they're using the 
it's still, you know, it's still pursuing that mission. Um, but the way that this is designed out is, is I always wanted to use what we generate in the creative arts and multimedia space to support nonprofit work. So now within the ecosystem, we have other partners, but Life Arts is the main partner that we support. So now I support Life Arts and their mission of developing leaders where they live, using the arts, creative space, multimedia. We support that. And I'm raising up all of these other cats who, when they generate, it will support that. Right. So we want to make sure that the work is sustainable because, the, because that's where everybody came from. Right. Like like being able to walk into a room and who you are as a person stands out, not your ability. That's what that's what we're trying to develop, you know. And so um, that's that's why the leadership, innovation, faith and entrepreneurship, because that's what life stands for, that those four pillars that are that are really um, foundationally championed in the in the nonprofit side. That's why it's so important to the for profit. Because it, it informs the kind of folks that are going to be doing this work that we do. Right. Absolutely. Um, and so, yeah, so you have Life Creative STL, which is an ecosystem umbrella. And within that, you have Life Creative Group, which is the for-profit driver and facilitator of the ecosystem. And then Life Arts is the nonprofit beneficiary. Right. So like you, Paco, Melina. Um, now Sanka, like, you know, Jack, like all these young cats, they, they, there are residencies available to them in the life art side. There are all these things. And then we make sure that they have what they need to do their projects, you know, um, and, and other creative endeavors, because I think they're going to be good. I think they're going to be successful, <laughs> which means that they'll generate money, which means we'll have a way to continue the work of life arts. So the cycle just continues on. Yeah. 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 You guys are going to pay for the next generation to be able to have opportunities that not even you thought were possible. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Brian. My next guest is drummer Jake Reed, who has been a major influence in my life as I've been lucky enough to be an assistant for him in the past couple months and intern for him. Jake Reed is a chameleon in many musical situations. Um, he's played with the likes of the LA Phil. He has been a major first call sub for Peter Erskine. Um, he's originally from Kansas City um, and has a major jazz background, but also has worked on Dozens of films, albums, TV shows. He's more recently gotten big into the producing business and has been a big inspiration to me, and I'm so thankful to have him on my podcast. Looking back through your career, has there been any mentors that have had a major impact on your life? Um, and if so, who are they? I would say the first major mentor I had was my childhood drum teacher. It's our daughter, Lucy. Yeah. Um, uh, my my drum teacher from when I was a kid, Dennis Rogers, I started taking lessons with him when I was probably 11 or 12 and all the way up through age 18. But he he was a uh, not only a fantastic drummer, I found a video clip of him a couple weeks ago on YouTube. Mm. You know, because like when you, grow, you get older and you have a lot more playing experience, you look back. And sometimes some people you thought were like really amazing when you were a kid aren't that 
you know, like as interesting as you get older, you know, like musically mm-hmm. speaking. Mm-hmm. But I found this video clip of him playing recently, and I was like, wow, he's just amazing. He's such a great drummer. But not only was he a great drummer, is a great drummer, um, he's just, he was such a great person. Uh, and he really just taught me a lot about like, treating other people with respect, you know, things mm-hmm. like that. Or how to, you know, how to be more of a leader in certain situations. Like for like high school drum line stuff or whatever, drum corps. Uh, but it really helped with like leading bands or, you know, as a drummer, you are the leader of the band in a way, you know. So right. he was just always really good at all of that. Um, just a really wise person. So that was an early mentor of mine who really, I think, really helped set the path for my development mm-hmm. as a person, but also... Sec, almost more of a secondary role as a drummer. <laughs> right. <laughs> if that makes sense. So th- this was not only someone obviously who you know gave you drum lessons, but also gave you life lessons and, and guidance. Yeah, I mean, to him it was all the same thing. Right. You know, and that rings true with any mentor I've ever had, like Peter, mm-hmm. you know, who you with, Peter Erskine, or uh, you know John von Olin. All the ones that I really connect with. That's what a mentor is. It's not just someone who's really good at a skill and then they just teach you how to do that skill. You know, like, here's how you play whatever beat. Or, you know, or <laughs> it's so much more than that, right? Right. You um, talk um, about your relationship with Peter and, and how much that's had an impact on your career now. And, and Yeah, so whereas, like, Dennis was a great mentor as a, when I was young at just helping me sort of get through adolescence and my teenage years. But just those early, uh, you know, just you, you learn how to treat people, you learn how to interact with people, um, you know, decision-making, setting goals for yourself, those sorts of like really just fundamental things to help you become a successful musician Mm -hmm. or successful student or whatever it is in your career. That's where Peter really helped me to excel was understanding living in Los Angeles, being a musician out here. How do you survive doing that? And how do you excel doing that? You know, Mm -hmm. because there's so many different ways to do it. And the thing about Peter, just from a, more of like a business side of things because he's he's such a great entrepreneur you know which if you're self-employed as a musician it it really helps um to have that sort of role model who's there to say like yeah you know try to do this try to do that like write a book um do podcasts you know there's so many ways to do it now as a musician it's not the same paradigm of the 60s and 70s living in Los Angeles (laughs) you know do it doing session oh I did like 12 sessions today and then I did a gig at night and blah 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 and you know like you think of like Hal Blaine or someone like Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. who like drove around in a Rolls Royce and had a mansion in Beverly Hills (laughs) things like it's just not like that anymore um so you have to find other ways to to do it like you know like what I do it's like doing a lot of recording at home or teaching or mm. sample packs right. <laughs> which you helped me with yeah <laughs> uh, making sample packs 
in addition to doing gigs and giving private lessons or teaching at a university or whatever. There's so many different ways now, right? Yeah. All these different avenues. So Peter really helped me understand that. And he really helped me understand how to be more of just a professional, you know, like understanding that it's not about you. And sometimes in certain situations, musically speaking, you know, just you're fulfilling a role, you know, it's not always like jazz. You get to play jazz and express yourself. It's like sometimes it's more of a a functional role and understanding just the right thing to play at the right time Mm -hmm. for the sake of the music, you know, not just because you feel like it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So really getting into that role. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Peter really helped me with that. But just as a person, again, just, uh, communication skills. It kind of goes without saying, but just all of the musical things I learned from him, just on the drums, mm-hmm. um, or all the recording, sort of like how to how to play in different recording situations, or on different gigs, or like in a big band or a small group. There's so many things that are uh, that go without saying, like they're they're nonverbal, right? You just watch someone work, and there's a lot you can pick up on just by watching them. And he was always really good about letting me go to recording sessions with him. I would go to a lot of gigs with him, and just I would set up the drums. And it sounds like, oh, he's like, oh, you know, you're you're doing all this grunt work for him, <laughs> and so it's like, like he, oh, he's just getting these kids to set up his drums for him because he doesn't want to or something, but. It's not really, it's, you learn so much more from being in it, you know, like from being close to the drums, his drums, and picking up all, on all the little details of how he sets things up, like just ergonomically, uh, the sounds he chooses, why does he choose certain drum heads, why, why certain sizes of drums, and he's really good at putting you, he was always really good with me at sort of, and I think this goes with all of the students, put, putting you in like a real world situation, right? Like in a lesson, he'll set you up to be like, okay, you're in, you're on this gig and you're playing this big band chart. Like, how do you do this and make it sound good? You know, that sort of thing, or just, you know, all the lessons you've had with him. Mm-hmm. Um, but also there, I remember one time I was, I went to a recording session with him and like the floor tom head was like old and beat up, kind of it had lost its tone. Record, I forget what it was for. Maybe it was for a movie or something. And he was just like, "Change that drum head, make it sound good, you know, mm. make that drum sound good." And it wasn't, you know, he, just, he so he empowered me to like do this, make make this sound good. Instead of like, okay, I'm going to show you how to do this and we're going to work through this together. It was just sort of like the trial by fire thing, even though that was a very low pressure situation on yeah. my end of things. It's like, of course he could make it sound good if you wanted. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Just little things like that. I think that's a good thing as a mentor when you finally get to a point with someone where you just go like, okay, you've like earned the um, opportunity to like be able to try to do this thing. Mm-hmm. And Peter is really good at recognizing that. Mm-hmm. I think it probably helps that his dad, you know, was a pretty well-known psych- psychiatrist on, on the East Coast. 
Um, I didn't even so he that. just always had like a, a thing with understanding people, yeah. how people think. And he always talks about like, you know, playing drums. So much of it is the psychology of it. It's not, it's not even chops or, you know, speed or whatever, or being versatile or so much of it's just up here. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all in the way you approach it and the way you think about it. Yeah. So I think, but beyond that, just the interpersonal skills of playing in a band and sort of leading from the drum seat. He's always really good at that. Yeah. And teaching that to younger students, passing on to the next generation. He always talked about that, Mm. at least in my lessons. Yeah. Passing it on. And um, that's what we do. Not to speak on your behalf, but, you know, when the time that I've gotten to know you, it seems like also Peter's taught you how to, uh, which I learned from you with this recent audition, but how to be um, a good sub in situations, because I know that you um, fill Peter's chair a lot of times with LA Phil and all these different things. It seems like he's also taught you how to, you know, play those, do those big gigs and are even just sub for someone at, you know, his caliber, which of course you are too. Um, but, but it's interesting to think about that because to learn one must want to be taught, Mm. you know? So you have to sort of, um, like I remember the first time I was subbing for him with LA Phil, I went to a rehearsal that he was playing on because it happened to be the same program. I, he was just, he had to miss a performance. So I was filling in. So I went to the performance with him or sorry, I went to the rehearsal with him and I sat right next to him and I was just watching him like very intently. How is he interacting with the percussion section? How is he keeping his eyes on the conductor? How is he reading the music and interpreting the drum charts? Cause you know how drum charts are there. It's not like you're reading a written out trumpet part and you know, as a trumpet player and playing it, there's a lot of room for interpretation of the drums, right? How is he playing the room? It's like Disney Hall. How is he playing in that space? There's just so many little tiny, uh, you know, points of interest that that go into making a piece of music sound good yeah, at any given moment um, on any gig, you know? And so, again, it's, it's him allowing me the opportunity to hang out with him mm-hmm. and shadow him. Um, but then also me being like, Hey Peter, how do you do this? Or, or maybe after the rehearsal, like, why did you do that? Or, you know, he's always very open to answering questions. He's good at, and he's good at explaining them. Sometimes there's some, uh, older drummers or established drummers where you, I, I would try to ask them questions when I was younger and they go, Oh, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how I did that. I just play. But Peter's really, really good at the why, the how, helping students understand that. Um, but yeah, you, you have to be willing to pay attention, you know? Nothing's, nothing's a given, right? Right. So, yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. So absolutely. yeah, that's the whole thing with Peter, with me subbing for him and things like that is uh, just being present, being in the moment, paying attention, right? 
another lesson I learned from him. Just yeah. paying attention. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a different level of paying attention. It's like you think you're paying attention just because you're listening to a piece of music, but how deeply are you listening to it? Right. How intently are you listening? Whether you're just a listener or a player and you're listening mm-hmm. while you're playing. You know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. My next guest, who I'm extremely honored to have on this podcast, is the legendary Peter Erskine, who is a two-time Grammy winner, um, has appeared on hundreds and hundreds of albums, records. He has played with Stan Kenton, who we will get into in this podcast, who was one of his first gigs ever. Also most known for playing with Rether Report, Steps Ahead, Steely Dan, Joni Mitchell, the Brecker Brothers, the Yellow Jackets, Pat Metheny, John Schofield, the list continues on. He constantly plays, still plays with the LA Phil, constantly voted as one of the most legendary and greatest drummers to have ever touched the instrument. He is also a composer, writer of his own music, and has been featured in many, many big award-winning soundtracks like La La Land, Sing, House of Cards, and many more. Please welcome Peter Erskine. Ever had any mentors in your life? And if so, um, who and, and what your connection was and how did that impact your life? I feel as though uh, my uh, musical education uh, has been a, a lifelong process of being uh, informed and guided by mentors, uh, mm-hmm. starting, uh, I, I think, with my father, uh, who was a, a psychiatrist, uh, but before uh, he had become a doctor, uh, he was a professional bass player. Uh, so he had a great interest in music, and I was the one of four children who uh, seemed to have as much uh, interest even as a baby uh, that he did. So he, he nurtured my kind of musical hunger and desires and um, found a drum teacher for me uh, when I was five years old. This gentleman's name was John Severa, spelled C-I-V, like victory, E-R-A. And Johnny Severa was a drummer uh, in Atlantic City, New Jersey, which was very close to where I grew up. Um, And uh, Johnny, uh, just by luck, he happened to be the teacher uh, uh, on call, I guess, at the local music store when when my father drove me there. Uh, Maybe Johnny had been recommended to my father, I'm not sure. But at any rate, uh, Johnny turned out to be the perfect teacher in that he uh, allowed uh, me to enjoy the cookies of learning a musical instrument, meaning getting to play without the burden of everything being just uh, feeling like a lesson assignment, uh, while still guiding me through the rigors of, of, of reading and some basic technique. Uh, my next mentor, uh, well, there was a series of them when I went to these summer jazz camps uh, beginning at the age of seven. So I was able to uh, rub shoulders, um, if not drumsticks, with the likes of uh, Lewis Hayes, who played with Cannibal Adderley, 
Clem DeRosa, who was a very important figure in American jazz education, the, uh, the drum teacher, Charlie Perry, who was a pretty big name in the New York City area at the time, uh, and then eventually Alan Dawson, uh, who, uh, a great drummer who uh, ended up uh, te teaching for many years in the Boston area. Um, and all of these experiences led me to a gentleman named George Gaber, spelled G-A-B, like boy, E-R. And George Gaber had been a percussionist, freelance percussionist in, in, in the New York uh, symphonic radio and television scene, uh, you know, and, and, and recording and such. Uh, but he, uh, he headed up the percussion department at Indiana U University, and the reason I was meeting him there was because I was going to these summer jazz camps, uh, which were also taking place uh, on the campus of Indiana University. So um, I met Gaber when I was 12. Um, I may have met him actually when I was uh, 11, but I started taking lessons from him when I was 12. And um, I went to college at Indiana University because I wanted to continue under his mentorship. And even though I only went to college for one year, Dominic, before uh, going on the road with the Stan Kenton band, um, you know, his, his teachings always were present, you know, everything s stayed with me. And, and in fact, when I left the road after three years of touring as a musician, I went back to Indiana university to continue my studies with Gaber. Um, one year later, I again left school this time to play with Maynard Ferguson's band two years with that band then led to my joining weather report. Um, and uh, shortly after I joined Weather Report, I played a concert in Bloomington, Indiana, and Gaber, of course, I invited him. Um, we remained uh, uh, lifelong friends, and the things that he taught me uh, began to sink in and make more and more sense the older I got. Um, he introduced me to some other great teachers, but uh, to, to end this very long answer, um, I would say that George Gaber was my primary uh, mentor as a, uh, uh, you know, I should mention a couple of other names. So Ed Sof, uh, who taught for many years at North Texas, um, he was a very important teacher for me, uh, as well as a drummer named D. Barton, D-E-E -E Barton. Um, uh, the arranger Johnny Richards also imparted a lot of knowledge and and wisdom and in terms of your career i know that you've obviously had have had a long list of very successful students and i just wanted to ask you about if there's any um at least important mentorships that you've had with students i know um of course working with, with jake reed your your relationship and and his connection with you has has really helped his career and um, so I was just curious if you would talk about, you know, that and that relationship and other men important mentorships that you've had with mentees or students. Well, you know, I, I, I began teaching when I, uh, when I went on the road with the Kenton Band because we would, uh, we would do presentations in, in high schools and colleges. Uh, and then every summer, uh, all of a sudden, I was on the other end of the, uh, of the teaching 
uh, uh, or, or teacher-student uh, spectrum. Uh, you know, here I am as an 18-year-old conducting these classes and drumming. Um, I mean, the first year, uh, and I was, uh, again, I, I was 18, I just joined the band, and um, I'm, I'm doing the drum classes at the Stan Kenton camp, and the students uh, that year included Chad Wackerman, Carlos Vega, and Greg Field. Um, now, I can't say that I taught them very much, but I hope that they uh, that they got something out of those classes, and uh, and and, and I'm, pr I'm pretty sure they did. I know in the case of Chad, um, uh, the teacher-student relationship that we had carried forward, and, and in fact, the uh, either the the day before or the morning of his final audition for Frank Zappa, he called me and asked for some advice. This is is just a natural part of, um, I, I think music in general, but certainly in jazz, there's a, there's a tradition and a sense of responsibility to keep paying it forward. All the musical heroes, every one of them I met, uh, they were generous with advice that might've been practical advice or might've been more just, uh, uh, you know, along the lines of encouragement. Um, that's an important part of mentorship is encouraging a student to do something. I was meeting with a lot of different drummers. Um, uh, you know, the best known was probably Neil Peart, um, who went public with, with our teacher student, uh, relationship. Normally I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't talk about professionals who had come to study with me. Um, and, and, you know, a lot of, uh, in a lot of those cases, Dominic, the, the, the nature of, of my instruction is more almost like a, a, a therapy, you know, psychological counseling, just trying to give the drummer uh, permission to, to be themselves when they play. Um, that's maybe one of the most important things we can do is to uh, inculcate uh, or to, to somehow, you know, set set the set the stage for a drummer for him or her to to be able to realize their potential you, you know uh, one thing that uh, should be self-evident i think to most of us who teach uh, but it wasn't to a gentleman who taught my brother my late brother uh, when he was young uh, wanted to play the accordion um, it's an instrument we, you know we make fun of but accordion is a great instrument and he wanted to play it and uh, my father got him uh you know to take some lessons from the best accordion player in atlantic city um and this guy took it upon himself to tell my brother uh that he'd never make it uh and i found out about this later and and, and to me that's an unforgivable thing for a teacher to say to a student because we don't know you know, sometimes it takes a while for for a musician to find their footing, and uh, and so I never wanted to be uh, that teacher. I I kind of made a vow to myself: I'm never going to be the one to discourage a student. I may challenge them, and sometimes the the challenging process is uh, is not an easy one. 
because students have to face up to some uh, some hard or difficult truths. Uh, but but all 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 this is is meant to be in the service of helping a student overcome those things that are in their way, whether it's uh, the mechanical wrestling with the instrument or them more on a psychological level wrestling with themselves. What is your definition of, of being a good mentor? Or it seems like also not everyone's fit to be um, a mentor because there can be times where it can be very discouraging. I guess my question is, yeah, what is what is your definition of being a good mentor? And, and what are some also examples of, you know, maybe some bad mentorship? A, a good mentor is, is a teacher uh, who has the wisdom to show a student uh, how to, uh, in this case of music, play the instrument, uh, you know, on, on mechanical terms, and then uh, teaches a, a student how to be comfortable uh, being themselves when they play, how to maybe become uh, brave enough uh, to weather the challenges that will come his or her way. I hope you enjoyed that interview with the great Peter Erskine. I want to say a huge, huge thank you to all the guests that I got to have on my episode. They have each had such a major part to play in my life, and I wouldn't be where I'm at without them. I'm so, so incredibly thankful to have them on my show. The role and dynamic of a mentor in a mentee's life can continue to change over time. The way that it is approached can be incredibly different based on each mentor and their approach to life and their career. But through this episode, I learned that there's still such a hopeful future for the roles of mentors in mentees' lives. And I hope you enjoyed all their valuable information and knowledge that they were able to share. Thank you so much for listening and tuning in, and I hope to catch you next time.